We are igniting the blockchain. I am your host, Elizabeth. Join me and my guests as we talk about everything related to cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. Nothing we say is legal advice or investment advice. Do your own research. Have fun and let's get started. This is Elizabeth, otherwise known as the Crypto Woman. And joining me today is Jenny Balliette. Jenny is an educator, an entrepreneur, a strategic communicator, and a coach at Lula and Company. She writes, coaches, and educates on the needs for responsible and compliant innovation in education. How are you doing today, Jenny? I'm doing well. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Let's talk about education, coaching blockchain, right? Yeah, it's so exciting, um, especially with the happening last week, right? One of the um, one of the cool things that came out of that was that um, many of my students were asking, "Well, why does it matter?" And it's just, it's an anti-inflationary event, right? And they're like, "What does that even mean?" I was like, "You know how?" And then we kind of talked about the economy right now. I said, well, in 2008, something kind of um, similar for very different reasons uh, happened, and here's a report about it, right? Here's the 663-page report that you can read if you would like, and um, here's the big shorts movie, and then just a bunch of other, you know, articles, Wall Street Journal, there's an HBO documentary, there's all sorts of things about the 2008 financial crisis. But the big point is that it came out of TARP being um, bailing out um, big banks and the consumers not, you know, having a lot of money. So, um, or actually it becoming, how would you say? I think you could say it became a lot more expensive to not have a lot of money. So um, out of all of this came that, and they said, so when um, Bitcoin was created, it was um, the 31st of October, 2008. Um, and the first block was mined um, in January of uh, 2009, January 3rd. So he said that's when they call uh, Bitcoin's birthday, right? So, so can you see why decentralized or peer-to-peer exchanges or this could be the future of money? And they're like, huh. So, and that's when we start talking about inflation. And a lot of times what they say is, well, my parents say, you know, the Bitcoin isn't backed by anything. I was like, okay, well, what's the dollar backed by? <laughs> Another learning opportunity or exactly, a teaching opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. And so then that's when we talked about the 1970s and when we came up with the gold standard. Jenny, tell us a little bit about your students. So um, I have been in education for 25 years and um, always geared towards helping students um, use technology to overcome any learning, I don't want to say abnormalities, um, challenges that they have, right? Mm-hmm. Through assistive technology. And so a lot of times what I do is I work with students that may be that um, square peg round hole fit with traditional, um, traditional models of education. So when I work with a student, uh, they're either looking to optimize their learning or they're looking to understand why they're not learning in class, 
or their parents are looking for assistance in meetings, such as IEPs, 504s, a disciplinary meeting. So in those situations, what I do is I seek to empower them. So that's what I have done on the side for some time now. Um, it brings my past in, um, which is as an educator. Um, and so when COVID-19 shut down many schools, um, education policy is something that I study very closely. I'm an MLAW student. And um, I wanted to use that opportunity to what I would say, go with a radioactive approach to education, cryptocurrency, and blockchain. Mainly, students are at home, a lot of them are bored, parents are frustrated, parents don't understand sometimes why teachers do certain things perhaps, or how to gain engagement. And it's a different ball game if you have your students, your child, you know, which who is your student now, right? Um, it's a different ball game when you have that dynamic versus a full classroom. And in that very small, like, group or that, you know, just one-on-one -on -one with your child, you can do so much. And that's the cool part. That's where crypto blockchain comes in because students will learn anything. They will learn anything because they are so interested, but you have to find that interest. So um, if you don't have that engagement, you're not, you can, you're going to go like this. And this is usually what I um, try to coach is, you know, using third parties like, oh, the clock says it's time to study or um, like you can, you can task um, them out by chunking different um, things that might be difficult. So the way blockchain and crypto come in is that it really becomes this amazing way for them to get lost. There's, um, are you familiar with Lev Vygotsky? No. Oh, okay. So Lev Vygotsky is the uh, first, well, I think he was one of the first. He's a social cognitive um, educational philosopher and theorist, right? And what he says is that we learn because it's, it's scaffolding. So like when your child, I can't remember when my daughter would go to wa a, like water park. She's barely like toddling, you know, like whatever, 13 years ago. And she was toddling and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, we're in this wading pool, but these waves are coming and you're like, oh, so you're kind of like around like this. That's the best thing I can say about scaffolding is you're giving them enough structure to make it just hard enough that they want to keep going and they're in flow, but you have to be dynamic in that. So once you get a student to flow, which is like this amazing state of enlightenment, right? What I would call nirvana of education, where you're, it's like flight. There's, there's, you're just in this perfect state of flow and they're just researching and researching and they're asking questions and everything. And um, there are programs that actually capitalize on this. One is the Buck Institute's project-based learning. And so when students are in that state of flow and they're scaffolded in just the right amount, that means that they're being empowered. So it's easy enough that they feel like, hey, I got this, I got this. And then the other part is that it's just hard enough to get them to the next level. And understanding that, that's the magic of teaching. Yeah, just the, the fact that uh, parents can easily, um, as they learn, they're gonna be like, oh, tell me more about that, right? And then we just, we pull everyone into our ecosystem and we do it through a radioactive approach, just a half-life at a time. So um, to understand this better, what you're doing right at this moment is you are teaching students in their homes via video conferencing because of the COVID 
situation and you are introducing them to blockchain and cryptocurrency. Yep, exactly. Um, I wouldn't say, yep, I would say that it's very open-ended and they could sell with me as they want, but it's really, it's only geared towards fostering students engagement in the space. So, you know, we converse and everything, but I'm not their teacher. That's a little bit different than a coach. Um, so coaches just teach about the process. Um, the reason I chose, you know, the reason that crypto makes a lot of sense is because I'm not stepping at any toes in education. I don't have to worry that there's a curriculum that someone's not, that I might be teaching differently, right? Mm -hmm. So I just, what I do is I use different things and it can be from right now it's crypto and blockchain. Um, there's gaming. There's, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Foldit, Fold.it uses large data processing in order to power loud, large gaming servers. These servers um, uh, power gamers to understand how proteins fold for the receptors to bind. So they're finding the cure for COVID by understanding where the receptor is, you're gaming. So your students would have an interest in technology inherently, or are you trying to generate an interest? Um, well, let's see. There's a few different ways. Uh, some students are interested in the technology aspect of it. Some students are interested in the art aspect of it, as far as um, marketing, the, the beautiful graphics. If you've ever looked at lot, you know, lots of crypto websites, they all have really, really um, engaging and you know, aesthetically pleasing um, graphics, right? So there's that aspect. And then we've got the geopolitical for those students that are really like our future lawyers, right? They want to know why. They want to know why does it make sense and why why is it hard? So it's not just technology. I really think that it brings, um, it's called like integrated curriculum. It really brings every subject together. And so regardless of whatever trouble they're having, whatever, whatever is, is their passion, you can definitely weave into it. And then, then it just becomes crafting that so that you're working on what they need help with. The way I understand it is you really don't have a curriculum. You are, you mentioned open-ended. You're doing this on the fly. You're answering the questions and it, evaluating where they are right now and maybe nudging them a little further along the path. Yes, definitely. Um, so integrated curriculum is just a, uh, it's a framework that you could use. Um, integrated curriculum would be instead of teaching so instead of saying, okay, this is all the math stuff about crypto, and okay, guys, now this is all the technology stuff of crypto, and okay, this is, you know, and this is all of the English stuff or the language stuff. What integrated curriculum does, it's not a curriculum, it is a misnomer. It just weaves all that together very seamlessly. So I, I foster their creativity but really, they're so interested in this. They want to know. They've heard about Bitcoin. Their, their movie stars are talking about it. So they're interested in it. Their influencers are talking about it. So this is the time. And um, as it, it's kind of a very natural progression, which is really exciting, sort of like what, what, when you were telling me about homeschooling your children, 
it's a very exciting time because they are now becoming stakeholders in their own education. And as such, they're, they're becoming more empowered in all areas of education. Does that make sense? It does. It, it makes a lot of sense to me. And, and hopefully it will um, engage them in a way that will keep their interest going for a long time. And their parents, right? Yes, exactly. And as they learn and as they find, as they fall more into the rabbit hole, like, I don't know how, I remember we talked about how you kind of became interested in crypto and blockchain a little bit. Um, as you fall down that rabbit hole, that's the magic of learning. That's all it is. And it, it transcends everything. And so that is my hope. My hope is not only that I can assist them in understanding how amazing um, blockchain and crypto and digital assets are as a whole, but also that I can empower them to get where they need to go. Because I'm not sure if everyone needs to go to college, especially when we're looking at student loan debt. I mean, there's gotta be alternatives for people. And so um, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm ultimately hoping to blend those two together and that education policy moving forward will be, and I was just ranting about this last night as I read different um, initiatives that were going on out of the Department of Education. Um, the digital divide, we have to address that everywhere. And if we can address that, then guess what? We can create a comprehensive blockchain and cryptocurrency curriculum. But right now, I think um, what I love to do right now is I love to talk with people like you and other people that have content. And I love to use that content because I have a theory. And I mean, I don't know if you share this or not, but there's a lot of people that try to be generalists in our field. And I really try to encourage, and this is, this is actually what I did my, my graduate thesis on um, partially, is that I encourage everyone to build on their strengths and then match up with someone that complements them because it's, you know, strength-based curriculum, strength-based learning, um, because you can spend all of that time trying to help someone with their weaknesses, but number one, they're going to be more, they're going to be more um, defensive because it's, it's uncomfortable for them. And at the same time, um, if I, if I help you build your, your weaknesses and your strengths are here and I spend all my time here, your strengths going to stay here, but your weaknesses can go here, but you could partner with the person right next to you who is awesome and has the inverse. And then you fit together like a puzzle. And how beautiful is that? Because now we've empowered both of you and you can go and go do something amazing and see it for yourself. The collaboration is really big in the crypto community right now. Yeah, decentralized nature of Bitcoin and then crypto, our networking and our communities tend to be more decentralized too. And so there is a lot of room for people to inject themselves into this community and find ways where they can collaborate using their strengths. Exactly, exactly. And so um, one of the early articles I wrote um, has a strength-based finder which is like the antidote to the DSM-5. So you can go through. And what I coach students on is um, whatever you have to do, we will structure your day so that you tap into those top five strengths. And this works for anyone. I recommend taking the children's version and in the article I explain why. Um, and so if you do that, okay, 
right? She knows. Uh, if you do that, then you structure your day, you're using your strengths, but there's just one caveat with, I love collaboration, but there's, there's a um, caveat. It's gotta be genuine collaboration. So it can't be someone that wants to do, um, I've seen this happen where they want to do, they want to take over the whole market share. Mm -hmm. There's no, there's no reinforcement in that, right? Mm -hmm. If you want to help some, you know, like if, if I say, oh, I want to collaborate with you and I want to do this and blah, 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 and I, I miss and I miss, I miss, that doesn't work. So everyone, it's, it's, um, it's gotta be that you empower one person, another person empowers. So I always say it's called genuine collaboration which is a little different than some of the collaborations. So like think of like in, um, you, your children did go to public school for a little bit. And so like, you know how I remember being in class and them like making arbitrary groups that were like, okay, you're this, 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 this. Okay, your group is your group's grade or whatever, right? But it was just like, no, I don't, I don't agree. Um, I, I'm just gonna do all, like one of the people in the group would be like, I'm just doing all the work. I'm like, okay um how do you want me to help you know what i mean so it can't be like that it can't be like arbitrary and that's what i love about the crypto community it is it is very genuine and everyone has these amazing ideas and so weaving those strengths together and matching people up to me is amazing so you're spending a lot of time with your students doing that do you know of any other educators doing something similar um, I do. There were a few that I was chatting with um, pre-COVID. Um, one is doing a mining, uh, he's like, uh, I think he's mining, but I'm not really sure. I think then they were donating money. There's a whole podcast I listened to um, that I have some articles to write for their magazine. Um, I think it's called Teachers on Fire. Um, that's a great resource as well. They do a lot of STEAM. So where this comes out of for education where it falls into is any educators that are doing STEAM. Because if they're doing STEAM, the next, the next um, step would be, um, would be you know, crypto, blockchain, decentralized um, natures of things. Now, uh, DePaul, so I, where I was a director of presentations, okay, we had lots of professors there, and there are lots of classes in colleges that are weaving this, so not just K-12, right? but are weaving these things together. And DePaul has its own blockchain club. There's lots of different universities that have their own blockchain club. Um, there, was a, there was a conference that presented for me, I can put you in touch with them, um, that was, a, it's called Cubs, and it was Chicago University Blockchain Symposium, I think is the S, and I exactly sure it was last April. Um, and so that was a large conference and they were trying to pull academia, higher academia into it. So there's a lot of things going on. And usually when we see things going on in that, in the post-secondary realm, then that will transfer down into K through 12. But, um, if you look at one of my friends, I'll, I'll totally connect you with him. I bet he would love it. Um, Gordy Sisson, he's amazing. He is, um, and I'm not exactly sure the exact title because I haven't chatted with him in a while, but um, I think he's a vice principal of John Hershey, which is a school here in Illinois. Um, it's out a little bit in the burps. And uh, he has a whole cybersecurity program. So there's, you know, how you, you had like the students that were going to go into health, they, they had their own electives they could take in, in high school. So he's a cybersecurity one. So that's another one that you should definitely chat with. And then we have Chicago Blockchain Center, 
Um, and you know, people are very interested in this, especially anyone who is doing after school anything, you know, they're always looking for these different things. Um, so I say pull them in with technology as far because technology and gaming is like that's the low hanging fruit. And and if any parent who doesn't really understand um, how that works, right? My daughter was sitting next to me, and unless I wanted to give her my full on credit card, I couldn't give figure out how to give her Minecraft money. And it it was her birthday, and you know we I set everything up, but I set everything up, but I think I put. Uh, a new phone number and so you can't make any transactions for 30 days and so I was like oh great and so I had to like this is the perfect use case for crypto really and parents totally get this because they've done this before because then you have to go on Amazon and you're like okay virtual card that is going to be now like I need the code now right because this is now I don't know eight o'clock at night um after we've had a full day of, of, of birthday extravaganza right and I'm like oh my god I, I came so close to just giving her my card I was like oh and I kept doing it and I would buy these different codes and they wouldn't authenticate. There was a lag time. You had to wait for the authentication of, from the email and blah, blah, blah. Crypto would have been simple. Would have been just seamless, simple, done, boom. Okay, there's your Minecraft money. Um, and my, my fear was if I gave her the card, I didn't, not that she would do anything with it because I, she wouldn't, but if you store it in there, yeah, they say you can delete it, but I've been in situations where you've tried to delete something and you can't. And so I think that when you address something from anyone's problem point, right, or challenge, and parents um, trying to give their child money, oh, I remember there's another one I'm going to tell you about in a minute uh, that goes along right along with what we're saying, but it's slightly different. You will gain their buy-in much faster because obviously, because they're like, yes, I've tried to do that. And yes, it's a, it's a, it's a huge problem. It's called your allowance. You are, and then allowance, smart contracts, which I so love for kids, for allowances. So as I've always been a very strange mother, right? So um, when my daughter was young, oh, I don't know, not that young. I mean, she'd probably say, you know, it was when I was little, but it was, it's always been, um, I would have her write contracts if she wanted something because one, we, I have an ex-husband and so we are not in the same home and I didn't want to be that parent that didn't fall through. Two, it's great language, works on writing, works on any, any academic skill because you're, you know, we talked about the price of the contract, the consideration, the offer, the acceptance, blah, blah. I have some really cool videos. Actually, it's, it's one of my articles too. And uh, so this, so doing a smart contract is just one step further, right? So she would say, you know, um, whereas I would like to buy, well, you know, I had the, the Google form all filled out, right? But where, so she had to say like, um, I don't know, what are those things called? Those little, uh, um, uh, they're like Zwinkies or Swinky, uh, they're like little trinkets, like Polly, oh, I don't know. I, I've totally lost what they were called. But anyway, they're like these little food things, Shopkins, there we go. So she would say, you know, whereas I want to buy 10 Shopkins, I will, and then she would list the things. And so, it, and that goes right back to what I was saying before, when parents are talking about homework and things, you just put these things in there and it's like, okay, here you go. You said you would do these things. Did you do these things? No. Okay, you want to go do them and then we'll talk again? Yeah. Okay, great. And it, it really removes that friction, right? So I have a video on that too. Um, some different time tracking apps. 
I think parents are just interested in anything at this point that will that will engage their students. So and good educators like us, we know how to create those those um, those teachable moments. Obviously, education and blockchain and crypto are all very important to you. And there is a huge need in the blockchain crypto space for more education. And you're bringing a very, very, very interesting approach to your students. I'd love to see it broaden and, and get bigger. Uh, if you ever create a curriculum or have a program that you can reach out and teach other teachers or parents how to do this, uh, let me know. <laughs> That Definitely. I do have one. It's just that it's, it's, you know how they say that teachers are the best thieves ever? I don't know if I've ever heard that. Okay. I do. It's just that it's like my scope and sequence is okay. I say you do this, then I say you do this, then you're going to go check out this YouTube, then you're going to do this. Yes. Do this. yes I, I do have another call with um, another person that I love their stuff and I've asked if I can like, can I use this in my thing? So I always try to get permission to, um, I don't want anyone to think I'm taking advantage of their materials. So mm -hmm. yes, um, scope and sequence I think is huge, but I think it's definitely gotta be with, uh, fueled by engagement and where that child's at. So I don't know, what are your thoughts on it? Like as far as scope and sequence go? Well, if you're going to be connecting people with resources on the web, you'd have to keep your scope and sequence up to date as far as your links to resources because they change a lot mm -hmm. and because better and better material comes out all the time because it's such a fast moving, really part of the education of the educators needs to be bringing them up to speed um, and, and getting their interest peaked or helping them jump into that rabbit hole and find some of their own own ways of doing that. But as far as the scope and sequence of just laying out ideas or what needs to be taught and maybe how it could be taught, sure. I think that that would be really, really important. What do you think is the biggest educational challenge right now for the adoption of blockchain? Honestly, I would say the biggest challenge is something I've been, this is why I went more on the education policy side of it. It's funding. It's always funding. I was tweeting about it last night. It's funding. You've got, you've got so many different stakeholders. And that's why when I say I'm making the students realize they're a stakeholder in their own education, that is paramount. You're looking at no child left untested, which is what I call S up. Um, because when you test someone repeatedly and those tests are very high stakes and very, if, if you're familiar with, there's a great documentary, it's Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation did it, it's um, Race to Nowhere. And this is actually how I got into education policy. So I'd say number one, it's funding. And it's not that teachers don't know how to do it. They are so innovative. Teachers are some of the most innovative out-of-the-box thinkers and that is why I am so creative because I was around some of the best teachers ever and you don't tell people that your school doesn't have money yes PTO has money blah blah but I spent more but I don't think I made a profit my first year because I bought so much stuff in my classroom because teachers want to engage so I, I would say number one the biggest barrier is funding. And I'm not talking funding for programs. I'm not talking funding for anything. I'm talking about the digital divide. And I have a way to solve that. 
It's a very simple way, and it actually does not pit the public schools against the private schools the way they are right now, because that is a disaster. What we need to do is we need to go to the students, and we need to give every student a device, and it needs to be the same device, and I say it should be Apple, and I have my reasons for privacy and Apple and their app store and the way that they have worked with education prior and the ease of use, okay, because we have to remember all of those things. But it comes down to the digital divide. I, I tweeted about last night, there were schools that, you know, are doing full virtual, there's ones that are doing worksheets. If you can level the playing field enough that every student has an iPad and that iPad has every app that you use and it is FERPA compliant because I will tell you many of them are not. Um, and that's what I write about. And then I've got three more articles coming out this week on that. Um, and some very big lawsuits coming out. Um, so if you do that in a compliant and proper way, okay, then you look at what the FCC has done with their E, I'm going to say this wrong, but E-rate gift, there we go, E-rate gift rollbacks, which means that prior to COVID, they were not allowed to donate services, bandwidth, or anything to schools. So they had to charge them. Um, there was a, I think it's only, uh, they could charge them 20% reduction of their regular fees, but it was still that. And it's still, if you can, I wrote about this in um, an article where I talked about Chicago, um, Illinois, and then I have a big section in there on the digital divide. So if you look at it from that standpoint, that we need to keep the E-rate, E-rate gift rollbacks, which are also there for telehealth now, okay? So we need to keep that in order. And we need to have every kid have an iPad. And if you put these two things together, because an iPad is very, uh, is, it's, it's, it's not as much functionality as a computer. Do a lot on it. It's very interactive. And it's, it's a simple device, right? You put data on it so you're not doing cell, not doing anything. Everyone's, now you've got everyone on the same, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you can do that, then what you can do is you could, really open up the curriculum so that students could potentially join a different class. Oh, this class, this school is doing blockchain. Oh, I want to do this. And, and oh, I want to do this and I want to do this. But see what teachers, what the problem is anytime in ed tech, ed tech's got big problems. Ed tech's got big problems in privacy and they're coming out. They're, if, keep watching because they're coming out and they're going to continue um, until people really understand what you're supposed to do with student data. Um, and then you have on top of that, you've got administrators who are cutting. And if you look now when they're talking about funding, they don't have the money. They're trying to cut teachers, they're trying to do all this. Okay, if you're gonna cut teachers, if you're gonna do all this, you're getting like $7,000 per student from the federal government. Okay, yes, it's, it's split for every all these services. But give them an iPad, it's like, I would love to say, hey, Apple, try it, do an experiment. Because if you give everyone a $300 iPad, and this is why they made that price point for the iPad, was to compete with Google Chromebook. And there's a really interesting lawsuit against Google right now. And it's in New Mexico, and I wrote about it. It's very interesting to me, because it doesn't really tell you that all the parents' data, all the teachers' data, if, if what's alleged in that complaint is true from the, from the New Mexico Attorney General, people don't know 
that when their child signs in on their computer, okay, and then in their Google Classroom, and this is good this for teachers too, and then they sign out, okay, they've merged that data. And even though you've signed out, it somehow stays in there and there's a back end password you must put in there. We have 80 million users on Google Classroom. Google for Education, Google Education, I believe it's called now. Jenny, you're going to have to come back on and we're gonna to have to talk about data privacy. Yes. Sometime. Yes, yes, a responsible innovation. So that's the thing, right? It comes down to funding and we have to get the lawmakers to understand this is a priority. Did you follow? Did you follow when they were talking about the refund checks and then one of the lawmakers sent in a bill that was like, maybe we should put this on a blockchain, a DLT, right? Yes. I was like, yeah! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I've talked to a few people about that. We're getting closer. It's coming mm -hmm. up in the mm -hmm. conversation now, which it never would have a few years ago, right? Exactly. Oh, I, I don't think that we're the infrastructure is quite prepared for it just yet, but we're getting closer. We are. And so that's just the thing is like, we're not there yet. And so we can't go full, you know, what I, I would call what we need to do is assimilation. And the reason I say assimilation is because that means that the youth, our children, our students can teach us a lot too about how people use money and things like my daughter. She doesn't even know that I mean, she knows, but she doesn't in a way because she's just like puts her app request through and it's just magical e money anyway. Mm -hmm. So if we can take what we, what they teach us about how, what they know about money and they don't know any other way and we can take, you know, blockchain and crypto and all of our amazing ideas and we can learn from each other that that's going to be how we're going to achieve adoption in my opinion. So instead of accommodation, I always try to say assimilation. Yes. Because that's what we just want the this culture to assimilate into, you know, into um, crypto and blockchain instead of full on adopting. Because adopting kind of makes it seem like you're coming in and you're going to just adopt our way of life, right? Whereas it's so, uh, blockchain and crypto is such a great, it's such a great um, atmosphere. It's such a great, I mean, last week I, I did so many meetings. And it was so wonderful. It was just great to talk to people. It's the, one of the most accepting cultures. And one of, um, one of the very cool things of what, what I try to do for adults is I try to, you know, on the professional side, um, a lot of times it's moms that may have, have left the workforce, right? So what I try to tell them is that it's a lower barrier to entry. We'll learn a little bit, you know, and I, I you know, point them to, I guess I'm like resource management. I just keep pointing them to like the experts. I don't think I'm an expert on these things. Trust me, I'm not. <laughs> but um, I try to bring them in and I'm like, okay, as a freelancer, you want to go back to work. You haven't found something in corporate America for freelancing, you know? You take five clients on, you scale up 10 clients on. Then as you find these five clients that you really, really like, go on fractional with them. And then grow with their startup as your needs change. And then if you do need to go back to corporate America, you have blockchain crypto experience, right? And that is interesting to them. And now on the other side, you're double interesting to the crypto people because you've got this corporate, you know, network. So it's just all like, 
I love the word assimilation. I don't think we're going to replace adoption in the broader vernacular, but you are so right. We just need to assimilate it into our culture and our daily use. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's that's the goal of good education. Thank you, Jenny, for spending time talking with me about that. And I hope to talk to you again about some of those other things that you said and wrote about. If anybody wants to see what you've written or get in touch with you, how can they do that? So you can follow me on Twitter um, and DM me. It's at Lula Educate. And people thought in crypto that my name was so goofy as far as Twitter. I'm like, no, it's because everything goes on education. Um, and uh, the same on Medium. So I write a lot on Medium. And uh, they can email me. It's jb at lulaco.io is my email. And I would love to talk to anyone and anyone that has resources, you know, contact me because I'll write about it. And I love to tell your story. I, I find them to be so fascinating. Like your story and how long you've been in crypto, you know way more than me. I'm going to introduce you to the Teachers on Fire podcast. They're a great podcast and they really go with that STEAM, STEM community. Um, I think that if we can address this digital divide, that it's going to be, it's, it's not going to be, um, I think funding is the biggest barrier. And so if anyone wants to do anything to help that cause, what you need to do is you need to find out how your schools are funded. Cause it's, it's a, a three prong part process, right? It's federal, state, and local. And, and talk to your school boards, talk to your states. Tell them the digital divide, digital divide, digital divide, privacy, 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 and digital divide. Responsible innovation, it comes down to that. It is a lot up to the parents to drive that conversation. And we can't leave homeschoolers out of it either. Honestly, we cannot. They, um, you know, we can partner with them. We can use funding in, in very creative ways. You can do resource pooling and things. So I'm not saying that it's only public schools. Um, in some realms, there are aspects that are only in public schools with free and reduced lunch, right? But we all have to work together in this education community if we are going to get these children ready for the next generation. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Check out ignitingtheblockchain.com for materials referenced during this podcast and for a list of other conversations about blockchain technology and cryptocurrency. See you around the block.